You're listening to the second and final part of Unexplained, Season 7, Episode 12, The Jungle Never Sleeps. It's the morning of June 11th, 2014, roughly 10 kilometres north of the Mirador lookout point, where Lizanna Froon and Chris Kramers were last thought to have been heading before they disappeared ten weeks ago. Irma Mirando, from the local Ngabe community, is heading to the banks of the Culebra River, just to the north of Boquete, where Lizanna and Chris had been staying. The river runs more or less due north from the Mirador, the exact opposite direction of Boquete. The word Culebra translates to snake in English, or serpent, the perfect name to describe the twisting, winding path that it cuts through the jungle. As Irma approaches it, the river is full and fast-flowing, the air warm and laden with mist. As she will later explain, Irma has come to the river to bathe. She usually prefers a more secluded creek a little closer to her home, but for whatever reason on this day, she is here, and as she draws closer to the bank, she notices something blue caught up in a pile of driftwood between some boulders at the water's edge. It is quite clearly a rucksack. Inside, among other items, she finds a passport. She takes it out and flicks to the back page, where she finds the face of a young woman with ash-blonde hair staring back at her. The name beside it reads Lizanna Froon. Later that day, Irma delivers the rucksack to a local police station. The bag is in good condition, with the exception of a few tears in the fabric, an indication, perhaps, that it had been dragged along the ground at some point, either while someone was wearing it or after it had been removed. Strangely, it is reportedly dry and its contents in relatively good condition, despite being found on the banks of a river in the middle of the rainy season and the material of the bag not being waterproof. It is the first concrete clue in the case since the young women disappeared. Lisanna Froon's passport and bank card identify the bag as having belonged to her. Then as well as two pairs of sunglasses, over $80 in cash, and two bras. Inside, they find two phones, an iPhone belonging to Chris, and a Samsung Galaxy belonging to Lisanna. But also, Lisanna's camera, with its memory card still in place. The bag is a huge find in the context of the case, but it also proves to be a missed opportunity. Examiners from the Dutch Forensic Institute will later discover more than 30 unidentified fingerprints on the bag and its contents, from where first Irma Mirando touched it, then the police, then numerous others who rifled through it soon after it was found. Because Panamanian investigators failed to take prints of people related to the case, suspicious or outlying prints are not identified. 
DNA swabs are taken from the bag, but only seem to deepen the mystery. DNA belonging to four separate individuals is found, with at least two being female, but neither are Lisanna Froon or Chris Kramers. And when the samples are run through the Panama Police database, no match is found for them. Attention turns then to the phones and the camera. There is evidence there, no doubt, but it is fraught with its own complications. So much of this story is comparable to a walk into the jungle, perhaps the very same walk that Lisanna and Chris embarked upon. First, there is a trail, things pieced together from their time in Bocas and Boquete, the messages home to friends and family, and the accounts of their host family and trip organisers. But as soon as they leave Boquete and head into the cloud forest, the trail becomes complicated. It becomes harder to penetrate the truth through the dark, overgrown tangle of story. All that can be done, of course, is to try and retrace the steps, their steps, and piece together what little clues there are. But even then, when a pathway seems to open up, perhaps it is in fact nothing of the sort. Instead, it is simply just an impression of a way through that invites us to step deeper into the jungle, only to find moments later that the path has now vanished suddenly, leaving us stranded and lost and clutching at straws. For what it's worth, the call records of the phones make for distressing reading. Roughly six hours after they began their walk, at 4.39pm, a call was made from Chris's phone to the International Emergency Number 112. Twelve minutes later, Lisanna's phone makes the same call. Over 12 hours pass before Lisanna's phone makes a second attempt to get through to the 112 emergency line. That is followed an hour later by another attempt to do the same with Chris's phone. A third attempt to reach 112 is made by Lisanna's phone on April the 2nd at 10.52 in the morning, as well as a call to 911, the Panamanian emergency number. Due to poor signal, None of the calls make it through. On April 3rd, two days after the women disappeared, Chris's phone makes another unsuccessful attempt to dial 911 while Lisanna's phone is switched off. The following day, that phone runs out of battery. Over the next seven days... Chris's phone is turned on and off intermittently, perhaps in an effort to find a signal, then preserve the battery. What's curious is that on the last four occasions when someone attempted to use the phone, it didn't work because they failed to enter the PIN number correctly. On the 11th of April, ten days after the women vanished, Chris's phone is turned on for the final time at 10.51am. Once again, the PIN number is entered incorrectly. The phone is left on for just over an hour and turned off at 11.56am. It had 22% battery left. The failed PIN attempts seem to present three possibilities. 
One, that Chris Kramers, for whatever reason, by this point, was no longer in possession of her phone. Perhaps she had died or become separated from Lisanna, and it was Lisanna, whose own phone had by then run out of battery, who tried unsuccessfully to use Chris's phone. The second possibility is that a third person was trying to use it, either someone who'd possibly attacked the young women and stolen their possessions, or someone who innocently came across them while walking through the jungle. The third possibility is that it was Chris who tried to use the phone, but after the best part of a week without food and much water, had been too confused to remember her own pin. Three possibilities, three pathways to the truth, each stretching ahead of us and disappearing into the undergrowth. For the authorities, it is a tantalising set of clues that reveals so much and so little at the same time. All hopes are then pinned on the camera's memory card. Thankfully, it's in good condition and the pictures easy to access. The first batch of photos are very much what you'd expect from a tourist venturing out on an exciting trip to Panama. There are pictures of the two women leaving at the airport, the starfish on a white sandy beach. There are pictures of hostile interiors and unfamiliar faces met along the way. There are pictures too of Lisanna and Chris's hike into the jungle and up to the Mirador. They look just like any two friends would on such a day. The sky is blue and clear. You can see where the sun bakes them. They're on top of the world. Their faces so alive with joy. While behind them, the jungle stretches off into an endless sea of green valleys and mountain ridges. But there is something not quite right about the last few photos taken that day. Taken around 2pm, less than three hours, before that first emergency call was attempted. The setting seems to have changed. The path has become thicker. The clouds in the sky have darkened. And the surrounding area seems to have shifted from mountain meadows to dense overgrowth. It seems as though the women have gone over the continental divide to the other side of the mountain, walking away from the path home. Since the camera was hers, most of the photos taken up to and including the day the women went missing were taken by Lisanna. Almost all of them feature Chris, and there's no reason to think a third party was present. Throughout, Chris is normally laughing and beaming for the camera, but the last two photos of that batch are different. They're blurrier than the others, the images seeming further away, not as clear, and Chris looks unhappy, perhaps annoyed or stressed, it's hard to say but she's definitely not beaming any longer. Some have suggested that these last few photos are clear evidence that Lisanna and Chris ended up on one of those other trails, the ones not maintained by National Park Rangers, the ones only very experienced guides 
or indigenous locals would take. Just under three hours later, the first of the many distress calls are made from Chris's phone. In some ways, it would make so much sense if these were the last photos taken. Perhaps with only these photos to go on, the impulse to see things that might not be there, and the temptation to imagine other pathways to the truth opening up would be diminished. But these were not the last photos taken. Those were quite something else entirely. Having been turned off for seven days, on April the 8th, at 1.37 in the morning, the camera was turned on again. Over the course of four hours, a total of a hundred pictures were taken. It was pitch black in the jungle at the time, so the camera's flash was used. The resultant images, strange and abstract, have all the hallmarks of a found footage horror film. There are flashes of jungle, blurred images of the sky or earth and ground, some images with blurred flares of light, suggest it must have been raining at some point. Some of the pictures show what looked like a lightweight, rickety rope bridge across water. All of the photos were clearly taken in a dense jungle environment. The timing between them varies from a couple of seconds, as fast as the camera can fire, to over 15 minutes. It's been suggested that within some of the images, a pattern can be discerned. Some dark, indistinct pictures show an outcropping of rock, perhaps the edge of a ravine, as well as several tree formations and various plants. Then whoever is taking the pictures moves slightly, and we see those distinct markers again, this time shot from a slightly different perspective. Then the shooter moves once more, and the pattern repeats. We see the same landscape and markers again from yet another angle. At no point are the women seen in the pictures, with the possible exception of one. It appears to be a shot of Chris Kramer's head, her strawberry blonde hair filling the frame. Even if we agree unequivocally that the image is of Chris Kramer's, there's no way of knowing if it was taken by her or if someone else was holding the camera. Interestingly, this picture was taken long after the failed attempts were made to get into her phone. Among the more strange photos are those that appear to depict makeshift markers, pieces of paper and a loose branch placed on a stone with plastic bags wrapped around it. Another image shows a roll of toilet tissue, possibly spelling out something on a boulder. Something rusted and shiny appears to have been placed in the centre of the letters. Something to reflect sunlight, perhaps, in the hope of catching the attention of any aerial searches. During this time, the official search was well underway for the women, and had been ongoing for at least four days. Perhaps they even heard the search helicopters. Or were they simply using the markers to remind themselves of where they'd been? Or, as some have suggested, perhaps they were trying to communicate something 
about the area they'd found themselves in to whoever might find the photos. Of all the pictures, the image of what appears to be the back of Chris Kramer's head is the one that amateur sleuths keep coming back to. Over the years, some have claimed they can detect blood in her hair or that you can make out her nose or mouth. The fact that the image has been cropped only helped to stir the imagination further. Did the authorities crop something out that they didn't want the public to see? Some have wondered. Either way, once again, here is yet another impression of a pathway, an invitation to step deeper into the jungle, only for no clear path to ever emerge. After Lisanna's backpack was discovered, locals and the authorities alike renewed their search efforts once again. A short time later, a search party finds Chris's denim shorts caught up in a small waterfall on the Culebra River, just like any other item of debris washed out of the forest. They are found about two kilometres from where Lisanna's backpack was discovered. Between those two items runs a trail that includes three rickety bridges that take the walker back and forth across the Culebra River. An Ngabe village is not far away. Did the women fall into the fast-moving waters? Were they injured? Were they taken? An image of the shorts showing rips and scuff marks on the backside are posted online. From there, they're compared by avid followers with the state of the shorts as they are seen on Chris as she smiles for the camera on that morning of April 1st when the women made their way up to the Mirador. Yet again, there is the tantalising sense of a clue. Evidence she was dragged along the ground against her will, perhaps. Or evidence, simply, of the exact wear and tear you'd expect to find on denim after ten weeks being buffeted about in rocky and stormy river waters. It's hard to see much beyond the darkness in many of the photos, which only seems to encourage more outlandish speculation. Was there a third person using the camera at some point? Someone unfamiliar with how it worked? Were Chris and Lisanna using the flash to see something ahead in the dark? Had a noise from the forest spooked them as they battled furiously to make their way out of the jungle? Or were they simply using the flash to light the way as they trekked aimlessly through the night? And then there is the missing photo. When it was revealed that images had been recovered from Lisanna's camera, a list of the downloaded images was also provided. 133 photos were taken in total on and after April the 1st, the day the women went missing. The list of photos reveals that 33 images, numbered 476 to 508, were taken on April 1st, and images 510 to 609, a hundred in total, were taken on that strange early morning of April 8th. But there is no image 509. There are many reasons why this might be so. 
Perhaps Lisanna deliberately deleted the image. Highly unlikely, given that no other image appears to have been deleted. Perhaps someone else deleted the image who was with the women that day. Or maybe it was deleted by the authorities, either deliberately or by mistake. Or perhaps it never existed in the first place. It's not being there, just the result of a malfunction. Pathways open up, inviting us deeper into the jungle, but leading us to where exactly, we can never know. But still the speculation continues. Survival experts weigh in with their opinions. The strange markings are clearly navigation aids, they say, a common tactic employed by lost hikers. It's easy to get confused in the jungle, they insist, and it's important to keep track of where you've been. All of which is true. Another nine weeks of fruitless searching follows, and then, one morning, a horrifying discovery is made. Not far from where the backpack was discovered, hidden deep in the undergrowth, a pelvic bone is found. It's tested for DNA and comes back as a positive match for Chris Kramer's. The search intensifies in response, with Panamanian authorities and local guides descending on the jungle once more. Among them is Feliciano, the guide who'd apparently arranged to take Lisanna and Chris into the jungle the day after they went missing. His ranch, where they were to stay the night, was only a couple of hours on foot from where the pelvic bone was discovered. And soon after, there is another gruesome discovery. Lisanna's left foot is found, still in its boot. Were the small metatarsals of Lisanna's foot. These small pieces of bone have been used to speculate further on Chris and Lisanna's story. The bones were fractured, which some believe indicated a fall from a high place, likely while Lisanna was still alive. The different state of the women's bones also leads to more speculation. Lisanna's bones, found with skin still attached to them, appear to display all the characteristics of the standard decomposition one would expect of human tissue left in a rainforest for months. Chris Kramer's pelvic bone, on the other hand, appears to have been deliberately bleached. No marks or scratches were found on the bones either, which forensics believe likely rules out the involvement of a forest animal. Some forensic anthropologists claimed this could all be down to the microenvironments of the rainforest, the varying temperatures and moisture levels, the changes in river currents and flora, the chemical compounds of all the different soil types. It is true that these variables would affect decomposition, especially if the river played a part. But as ever, any more information than this is pure speculation. Soil samples were not taken, and the precise location of where the remains were found 
was never recorded. Naturally, some are sceptical of this conclusion. Decomposition in the river would have left markings on the bone from friction with the riverbed, they insist. Furthermore, the pelvic bone of a young person is not likely to break in half under natural decomposition. The bone was also missing joint tissue that usually remained intact for years under natural decomposition. After an extensive investigation, Dutch authorities declared Lisanne Froon and Chris Kramers most likely died by accident after getting lost in the jungle. But they also refused to rule out the possibility of foul play entirely. In November 2014, Panama's Attorney General Betsaida Pitti declared publicly that the women died in a tragic hiking accident, possibly falling into the river after getting lost before being dragged to their death. Were it not for the internet, perhaps that's where this story would have ended. Instead, it gained an entirely new lease of life when the women's photos and diary excerpts were suddenly leaked online. And ever since, has suspended it in an endless whirlpool of blurred fact and fiction. Rumours exploded online that two boys photographed swimming by Lisanna and Chris at the beginning of their ill-fated hike were later found drowned. There were rumours too that the taxi driver who dropped them off at the top of the trail was also found drowned under suspicious circumstances and rumours that tour guide Feliciano has a criminal son who lives in the jungle. There are even rumours that a sinister and violent organ trafficking ring operates within the country. And of course speculation that the local Ngabe people, who know the jungle intimately and have been persecuted for years, might have been involved the Panamanian authorities have come in for heavy criticism too for their perceived lack of professionalism. There are unfounded accusations that they deliberately swept the investigation under the carpet, apparently afraid at what revealing the supposed truth of the girl's disappearance might do to the country's vital tourism industry. Much of this may be rooted in racism and post-colonial anti-indigenous suspicion. But while Panama remains a popular tourist destination, there is a dark underbelly felt most keenly by the women and girls that aren't white who live there. In May 2022, protests were held regarding 444 missing people in Panama, the majority of whom are women and girls. Most of those who are missing are thought to have disappeared in the province of Chiriqui, the same province as the Il Pianista Trail where Chris and Lisanna went missing. The rates of extreme gender-based violence in Latin America and the Caribbean are so high that it's been labelled a shadow pandemic by the UN and it's thought that as many as one in three women and girls 
have experienced some sort of violence from men in their communities, none of which, however, takes away from the tragedy and mystery of Lisanna Froon and Chris Kramers's death, which remains a highly contentious topic in Panama, in Century even. People, especially in Boquete, are said to discuss it only in hushed tones and behind closed doors, and refuse journalists' interviews. The sense of dissatisfaction in the Panamanian authorities' accidental death ruling is pervasive. To this day, the rumours continue of organ trafficking, of rape and murder, of violent criminals living deep in the jungle, and so do accusations of cover-ups, of the government prioritising its reputation as a tourist hotspot over the truth. In 2019, Chris Kramers's parents spoke to Dutch magazine Privé about their frustrations at what they considered to be a botched investigation. As her father Hahn said, there were many loose ends. In my opinion, and that of many others, many mistakes have been made. We still have doubts about things like their digital camera and their mobile phones, with which they tried to call after their disappearance. After they disappeared, photos were taken with the digital camera. We weren't allowed to mention even a word about this from the Panamanian authorities at the time. I can still get very mad about it, but what's the point? Beyond the endless speculation and the rumours of amateur internet detectives, for those who are left behind, like Chris and Lisanna's parents, whose every waking moment is genuinely haunted by visions of all those possible paths disappearing into the thick jungle wilderness. There comes a time when you simply have to stop trying to see where they might go, when you have to turn around and leave while you still can, lest you too get lost in the wilderness. I could write an encyclopedia full by now, said Hans Kramer, when it comes to errors that were made during the investigation, but there's no point in talking in hindsight. We have to live with the fact that our daughter is no longer here. We picked our lives back up, but we will think about our dear daughter every day. Nobody can take that away from us. This episode was written by Ella McLeod and Richard McLean-Smith. Thank you as ever to all of you who have taken the time to listen to Unexplained this season. Unexplained will take a short two-week break for the holidays and will return in the new year on Friday, January 12th. Until then. Unexplained is an AV Club Productions podcast created by Richard McLean-Smith. All other elements of the podcast, including the music, were also produced by me, Richard McLean-Smith. Unexplained, the book and audiobook, with stories never before featured on the show, is now available to buy worldwide. You can purchase from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Waterstones and other bookstores. Please subscribe to and rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can find out more at unexplainedpodcast.com 
and reach us online through Twitter at Unexplained Pod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplained podcast. <laughs>